Miracy. I think when perfectionists learn that it's really about the learning and not about the perfection and did I do it exactly right, but what did I learn from that and how did that, what I learned, move me forward? Um, you know, that's a huge mental shift for folks. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching businesses. In this episode, I'm pleased to have a conversation with a person I've worked with for a couple of years now. She's a certified coach at Coaches Console and also an ACES coach at Miracy. Before inviting Joy into the conversation, I'm going to read a listener's mail to have a setting for our discussion. Any email that I read on the show will be anonymous unless you tell me otherwise. Here's what Anonymous wrote. Hey, Melinda, I come from the corporate world where I worked as a project manager, but made the decision to change my line of work. I'm proud to say that I'm a certified coach and I'm in the process of setting up my coaching business. But there are so many aspects of the business that need to be put into place marketing, website, pricing, networking, brand building, and so on. I start on one thing, but then I don't think it's good enough. So I start on another thing. Then that isn't good. I start all over all the time. I feel so stuck. I want my business to be great, but it feels like I will never get to that place. There's so much to do and so little time. I just want to start my coaching so I can earn money and help people. Is it supposed to be like this? Am I doing something wrong? Dear Anonymous, thank you for sending in your question. What you describe is not unusual at all. Most coaches out there have gone through the exact same feeling of insecurity when starting their business, and the emphasis is on the word starting. You seem to have a false belief that everything has to be lined up perfectly before you even take the first step. You start, then stop, start, then stop. When you're stuck in perfectionism, you can't become your best self. You can't grow out of perfectionism by yourself. You need some tools and support to help you get where you want to be with your coaching startup. My guest today is a well-respected and award-winning communications and PR strategist. She's a certified coach and consultant who enjoys working with entrepreneurs as they develop their business strategies and deliver business results and experience the life they desire. It's going to be so interesting and fun talking with Joy about perfectionism. Together, we'll explore how that affects and prevents us from building true momentum. And we'll discuss how to help our clients move away from perfectionism into a more rewarding and wholesome pattern to get the results they want. Welcome, Joy. Hello. So nice to be here today. I know we've been coaching our clients with you being a coach on Coaches Console around this topic. So I'm so thrilled to have you on the show for this episode. Now, both you and I, we have had our own battles with perfectionism for sure. However, before we go into the topic, I would just love to hear a little of your story. I know you're from Kansas, but please tell us how you became a coach and why. I started out as a journalism major and spent most of my early career, actually 20 plus years, as a communications director and marketing manager. I spent 
a good deal of time at the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, which is one of the nation's largest foundations, as a communications director and as the essentially the director project manager of everything. Perfectionism kind of creeps into that job because you're always checking for errors, always making sure everything's right. So that was always kind of part of my training as a journalist as well as in my job. But along the way, I realized that one of my favorite parts of my job was in training and developing and really coaching my staff and my team and figuring out what their potential was, what they would bring to me as to what they wanted to do to develop both personally and professionally. And so coaching was a, an element of my job, but it was also it wasn't something I got to focus on full time. But the more I went through some of my own life changes, I got a divorce. I was a single mom to two young girls. And through all of that, I came to the fact that I wanted to transition my career into coaching full time. So I went into training and have been making that transition over the last five or six years. Yeah. A lot of us share that story. Like we have something that we're experiencing, we tap in to realize that coaching is just part of what we do, and then we explore it and and we go for it. And uh, it's been fun to be a part of that journey over these last several years with you. So let's hit the ground running on today's topic. I've read the listener's email about how Anonymous, as a newer coach, is setting up a coaching business, but seems to be trapped in perfectionism for the moment. As both you and I know, that's a hard situation to be in. Now, the good news is it can be changed, but it takes work. So let's start by explaining what perfectionism is. Like, what's your view on that, Joy? Yeah, I think it's whenever someone is starting into a new area. And for a lot of the coaches we work with in Coaches Console, this is a transition from a previous career or different path. And, you know, it's, it's like a young child or a baby learning to walk. There are steps you have to take in the beginning and you have to gain your confidence and build it up and so forth. And that insecurity is is one of those little saboteurs that shows up in our minds and makes us second guess and question everything that we're doing rather than feeling like we can move forward with confidence and knowing that we're doing exactly what we need to do. I think the other thing about perfectionism is the focus is on the self and how you're going to be perceived. And what will others think of you? And as coaches, we're really here to serve others and to put the focus on them and the challenges that they want to move through toward the results that they want. The real focus needs to be on how you're serving your clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we can take that attention off ourselves and put it on the other, the perfectionism almost melts away a little bit. Yeah. Now, like you said, we've seen this pattern with our coaching clients a lot, especially when they're just starting out. So Anonymous, you are not alone, but there are signs of perfectionism, right? So what are, what are some of those typical traits and patterns, Joy? Well, what we see specifically is like people will spend a lot of time writing copy about their website or their programs. They're more nervous to get on a strategy call with a client. And instead of trying new things, taking some risks, stepping into that new role, often it's just a lot of remuneration and thinking about, do I have it right? Rather than, you know, did I try it? Did it work? What did I learn to move forward? Yeah. Countless revisions. That's another pattern I see a lot, whether they're working on a project or whatever it might be. There's just that the countless revisions, it's good. It's like, oh, let me change that one last thing. And then they go in and find two or three other things to change. And then, okay, let me go back and change this one other thing over here. And 
they rationalize the countless revisions and they're always in that revising mode rather than researching mode. Put it out there, get feedback, make adjustments based on actual feedback, not just what you think it is. And so those countless revisions are a telltale sign that perfectionism has set in. Any other traits or patterns that come to mind for you? Well, one other trait is perfectionists tend to be very self-critical. And, you know, when they're self-critical, they're not very compassionate and they're not very open to trying new things because they're so judgy about, oh, I'm doing it wrong or I should have had it done by now or why can't I just get this done? And when you're in that mode, again, that just continues that overthinking and scrutiny of things that really you need to just put out there and, like you said, research it and see how does the market respond. Now, Joy, I know you and I have talked about fixed growth or fixed versus growth mindset, right? When it comes to perfectionism and working with clients who are stuck like anonymous, can you define how it relates to perfectionism? A fixed mindset, that's the telltale signs of perfectionism is that they're seeking external validation. If you go back to school, it's often the kids that are the straight A students that check all the boxes, that do everything exactly right as as they are directed. But a lot of times they are very horrified and derailed if they get something wrong and they get very stuck in the validation. Whereas a growth mindset is where you learn by doing. And the growth mindset is really around the fact that our brains are malleable and they are going to continue to learn. As you try new things, there's new neurons that connect. And so that iteration process actually broadens our experience, it broadens our thinking, and it actually increases our intelligence over time. I love that. I know uh, when I think about the growth mindset, one of my colleagues uh, years ago taught me this, and it's one of the things that helped me battle my own struggles with perfectionism. She said the phrase, it's not win or lose, you win or learn. And as soon as I adopted that, I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not losing because I was in that perfection, that fixed mindset, right? And I would get completely derailed if it was the slightest bit wrong. My fears were coming true. But as soon as I heard that, that mantra, it's not win or lose, you win or learn, I always love learning to better serve myself and those around me. That was just a a really powerful mantra to help me keep perfectionism at bay. Yeah. And I think when perfectionists learn that it's really about the learning and not about the perfection and did I do it exactly right, but what did I learn from that and how did that, what I learned, move me forward? You know, that's a huge mental shift for folks. Now, like I said, I've had my share of perfectionism for sure. I would, you know, perfect Portia, that was Melinda. And I always had to look good doing stuff for fear of what people would think about me. When I think about it now, it's like, that is so crazy sounding. But in the moment, it, it controlled everything in my life, not just in my work, but in my skiing on the mountains, on the slopes. Like if I didn't look good, I didn't do it so that I could be perfect. And it really held me back so that I only did the things that I knew I could be perfect at, which was a very limited way of living. And I had to change that pattern, but I wanted to keep my high standards. I have worked hard on all of that with my coach and, you know, I've balanced that work life today, but especially when it came to my team, 
how I service our clients at Coaches Console. I didn't want to let go of those high standards. And that was also an important distinction that, okay, wait a minute, perfectionism is fear-based. High standards is result-based, is the other. Like you said, don't focus on yourself, focus on the other person the client, the team member, and helping them get results. And that was another time when I could shift and just get out of, I didn't let go of the high standards. Things still had to be right and great, but it wasn't fear-driven anymore. So is there any situation or a way that perfectionism can serve you? Like can, dare I say, perfectionism be a friend, Joy? Well, I think... You know, one of the trainings I've done is in positive intelligence coaching. It's called PQ for your positive intelligent quotient. And you mentioned perfect Portia. That's one of the villains and superpowers that we talk about in Coach's Console. The positive intelligence is a similar idea in that we all have saboteurs in our brain and we all have sage mind. And when you understand that your mind can be both your best friend and your worst enemy, There are factors about perfectionism that can actually drive you forward. And those are the ones that are focusing on the goals, the high standards that you have, the results that you want to accomplish, you know, the goals that you're working toward, and also having empathy for the work that you're doing and and how you are treating yourself in the process. Yeah. And you mentioned that Perfect Portia, it's one of the villains that we have. The superpower that we embrace is that Dr. Richard research so that you can have that empathy, so that you can put yourself out there. And another one of my coaches told me years ago, I was always striving for a hundred percent. I thought anything less than that was bad. And he taught me to be amazingly comfortable with putting things out there at 80%. That's still a high standard. When I put it out there and I'm debriefing it to get the feedback, like you were talking about earlier, what did I learn from this? What worked? What didn't work? What can I do differently? As long as I'm asking that question, now I'm in that research mode and I'm striving for greatness rather than being stuck in perfectionism. So let's dig a little deeper, Joy. I've read how Anonymous struggles to set up her coaching business that it has to be great, right? It's so easy to get trapped in perfectionism. Where does it come from? Well, I want to go back to. Brene Brown, who's one of my favorite authors, because she's written a whole book on the gifts of imperfection. And she talks about that perfectionism, you know, there's this exhausting quest for perfection. And the way she describes it, perfectionism is not the same as striving to be our best. It's not about healthy achievement and growth. Rather, it's driven by this fear of failure and it fuels this unproductive thinking, such as ruminating over what if scenarios or obsessively scrutinizing details. And, and, and it's really about being unprepared. And all of that leads to procrastination, shame, and guilt. And then it's also the self-criticism and so forth. And why do you think it's so hard to change the pattern? Well, I think we have to go back and say what's driving the pattern. And if the pattern's being driven by insecurity and a negative thinking mindset and so forth, then we've got to go to that root cause. And what can a coach or a coach working with a client who's perfection has perfectionist tendencies, what can be done to help shift out of those behaviors? And, you know, there's a number of things that we as coaches can help others or we can 
apply to ourselves when we fall into those perfectionist tendencies. I mean, one of it is to really set realistic expectations and standards about what we're trying to get done, what is the standard that we need to meet, not setting it excessively high, but that, like you said, that 80%. And it's also shifting the narrative that this is not about me and proving myself. This is about I'm here to serve my clients. And when you shift from the I to the clients that you're serving, the energy shifts and the attention shifts. And then you start focus on what does the client need from me rather than am I the right person to serve them? I love that. Now, I don't believe that perfectionism can be self-diagnosed. Like when I think back to when I was just completely engrossed in perfectionism, I just thought it was the right way to be because it was the best way to be. And why would you want to get stuff wrong? And I remember when people would say, oh, you're being a perfectionist. I'm like, I would always think, well, why would you want to put bad stuff out there? How little do you think of yourself or your capabilities? (laughs) And, you know, I think it's buried in our subconscious for a lot of the reasons we talked about. So how can somebody know that they're a perfectionist? Well, There are a few assessments out there that you can take, but I think often, like you said, it gets reflected back to others. It may be even from a spouse or a family member or from a boss or a coach can help reflect those patterns that we perfectionists fall into and help us become aware of how those patterns are not serving us and they're getting in our way rather than holding us to the standards we think they are. One pattern that we talked about earlier in which perfectionism can show its ugly face is to be constantly correcting, right? It's that self-sabotaging to keep yourself busy with actions that don't move the process forward towards your goals. You feel good because you're busy and you're working on it, but you're not actually moving forward. And it, it keeps you from seeing that pattern of self-sabotage because you're like, look at me, I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing. So how would you work with Anonymous to realize the pattern if it were your client? Well, I would look at, is this client coming back and we're talking about the same project over and over again? And if we are, what's getting her stuck? And then exploring what her blocks are about putting something out there, trying it and getting some reaction to it. I would probably be picking it up through other clues in the coaching call. I remember when you talked to Liz Scully about, you know, often we can hear things through what people are saying or what they're not saying. And so, you know, I tend to pick it up through intuitive things that I see or hear when I'm working with my clients. Yeah, it's that idea of listening to what's not being said or what's happening under the conversation. That was also a great episode when I interviewed Liz. And I think a lot of that could help in picking up those perfectionist tendencies. And I love, I actually just want to bring back what you said earlier, because it was a great coaching question to ask what's driving this pattern and having them really reflect on that to bring it out into the open. Now, being a recovering perfectionist, I have tools that I use to keep perfect Porsche in check. But I'm curious, Joy, like, first of all, where does perfectionism still show up? Does it still show up for you in places? And if so, where is that? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, I think it got hardwired into my brain from being in communications for so long that I ruminate too long over copy, (laughs) or at least I ruminate too long over my own copy. 
I'm really good at reviewing other people's copy and giving feedback and making edits, but it's when I'm looking at my own copy is where I get stuck and get caught. So what I've learned is that I have to have an editor. I'll write something now and I turn it over to a friend and a colleague who's an editor and let that person give the feedback so that I'm not stuck in that cycle of over-editing myself. Yeah, I love that. I have to do the same thing. And so, you know, it might be a coach, it might be an editor, but those external support resources I find are very important to help me keep my perfectionism in check. So I'm just holding high standards, but not dropping into perfectionism. And it's, you know, perfectionism isn't a pattern to take lightly. It's usually, like you said, deeply ingrained in our behavior and our DNA. And it takes a lot of energy to be in that state. It also takes hard and focused work together with your coach, right, to change it. But when you finally do, you can move forward and start getting results. So let's go back to anonymous. Do you have other tips that you could help with the trap of perfectionism or that fixed mindset when starting a coaching business? Well, I think part of it is, and I use this phrase a lot, is giving yourself some space and grace, reminding yourself you're starting something new, especially with a lot of the coaches we work with in Coaches Console. Many of them are coming into starting their own business. It's not something they've never done before. And there's a series of steps and new things you're going to learn along the way. Well, if you had a child and they were learning something new, you wouldn't be nearly as critical or hopefully not <laughs> all critical of them as we are to our, ourselves and our own self-talk that we do. So, you know, first finding that space and grace, we also have to challenge ourselves as perfectionists or those that we work with to step out of that comfort zone. And there's a saying that goes, there's no comfort in the growth zone and there's no growth in the comfort zone. And so, you know, perfectionists kind of like to stay in that comfort zone of, I know it's all right. And they don't often want to jump into that growth zone. So, and I remember you making a few challenges and watching some of my colleagues do Facebook lives and the, the screen was, you know, sideways and they laughed through it and they had fun with it. And by doing it that way and recognizing no major thing happened by practicing or doing it that way, they actually showed more humility and humor to their audiences by being human rather than it having to be so perfect. So those are some of the examples that immediately come to mind. I love that. And what you just said, I'd never heard it that way. That was really cool. There's no comfort in the growth zone and no growth in the comfort zone. And it's a question that I ask myself on a regular basis. Melinda, what are you more committed to? And so in that example, it's like, am I more committed to being comfortable or am I more committed to growth so I can serve my clients? And when I can answer that truthfully, it's like, well, I've been more committed to my comfort zone, but that's not really what I want. And I can be more and I can have my commitment to my growth zone so that I can serve my clients or serve my team or whatever I'm involved in. It helps me to tap into a, a deeper layer of courage. And then I give myself a nickname, just be a hot mess with whatever that thing is, because I'm going to research it. I'm going to do differently quickly, and I'm going to course correct the best that I can. And I love the way you put that. There's no comfort in your growth zone, no growth in your comfort zone. So let's summarize a few things that we've talked about today. 
So first of all, we looked at defining perfectionism, those external validations, that defense mechanism for insecurity, second guessing ourselves and those tendencies where we focus on ourselves rather than putting the attention on the person in the other side of that conversation. We talked about a couple of signs of perfection that the countless revisions instead of being in research mode or being self-critical and not being compassionate with ourselves. And I love, Joy, when you talked about the fixed mindset, again, those external validations, putting the attention on the accolades and the acknowledgement being more important than the results versus the growth mindset, where you learn by doing and ask that question, that research question, what did I learn? And then we talked about the difference between perfectionism being fear-based and holding the high standards, wanting the best for yourself and those around you and the nuance of that and how important it is to make sure you have outside support to help diagnose, call out, or transform whatever those patterns are. And I love that phrase. I want to end the summary with this. Give yourself space and grace. Love, love, love that. So perfectionism is fear-driven, and you're making it about you. Maybe you're scared you might fail, so when fear kicks in, perfectionism kicks in. But when you make it about serving your clients, supporting them in getting results and making transformations, that's when your own perfectionism transforms. That's when you can help people get better and bigger results. And to put it plainly, perfectionism means you're the center of the conversation with high expectations. But when you're in service to your clients, your client is the center of attention or your team member is the center of attention. And that's where we want to be as coaches and as business owners. So Joy, do you have any more parting words for Anonymous? The other thing is, like you said earlier, is I hope she has her own coach as well, because it's also been said you can't become your best self by yourself. And so when she falls into these tendencies, if she's got a coach to reflect upon that and move her through her own transformation, then she's going to be an even better coach to those that she serves as well. Love it, love it. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Joy Torsha for this great conversation. You can find out more about her at torchlightlifedesign.com. That's torchlightlifedesign.com. Joy, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM network, which also includes Course Lab and Making It. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Danny Eney is our executive producer. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you liked the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, podcasts at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com.
Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.